Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Open up to uh, Joshua 21. Well, you don't have to open there. We're not going to spend much time there, but listen to this verse. This is where we'll start. And the topic this evening, we've been focusing on Christ and his work, but the topic tonight is the impeccability of Jesus. I'll define that in a moment, but I want to start here in Joshua 21.45. You remember this statement about God's faithfulness to uh, Israel. He said, or uh, it says, the word of God says, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. And then we could turn to the um, 2 Corinthians 1.20. And there's another verse about promises there. Promises made. And it says this, For as many as are the promises of God in Him, in Christ they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, hopefully I come around to the at the end and... I'm able to connect those verses to this doctrine of the impeccability of Jesus. Now, you're sitting there scratching your head thinking, what in the world does he mean by the impeccability of Jesus? Well, to speak of the impeccability of Jesus is to try to answer this question. Was it possible for Jesus to sin? Was it possible for Jesus to commit sin? And... The answer that is often given, and that I've often given myself, and that you've, you've probably given yourself, is a quick yes, and then a recitation of Hebrews 4.15, which is, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Right, so we read that verse, and we assume that because Jesus was tempted... It means that he was able to sin. Because if he wasn't able to sin, then those are sham temptations. right? Hebrews 2.17 says this also, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Another verse that... that seems to say that Jesus was exactly like us. But of course we know that that is an overstatement. What I just said is certainly an overstatement, right? Please say yes. Was Jesus exactly like us? Are you a God-man? Are you Emmanuel? Are you God with us? Are you perfect? Were you born not by ordinary generation, but by extraordinary generation, by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. No, you were not. And so in in many respects, Jesus is different and had to be different, yet he is also very similar in the sense that he took on the likeness of human flesh, of sinful flesh, right? The likeness of sinful flesh. He appeared as we are, 
And yet, he was also different. And so, but anyway, we reason from Hebrews 4.15 and Hebrews 2.17, we reason from these passages that being made like his brethren in all things means that he had to be able to commit sins or else he was not enough like us. And therefore, not tempted. Now, we have to... I'm organizing my sermon as I go, so bear with me. I'm praying that God will make this clear. I have been. We know that Jesus did not sin, right? We, we are all happy with that statement. Jesus did not commit a single sin. He, he never sinned in any way. Hebrews um, 4.15 said it. I already read it, right? He was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Um, Hebrews 7.26, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And that's an amazing statement, right? Separated from sinners. He was not connected with sinners. He was separated from sinners. He was holy. 1 John 3.5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In combat with the Pharisees, you remember what Jesus asks them. Which of you convicts me of sin? What a question. What a question. And the implied answer is, I have committed no sin. You have nothing against me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Um... 1 Peter 1, 18-19, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feeble way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and what? Spotless. Perfect. No blemish, no sin at all. The blood of Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 22, He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. So we readily accept that the fact that Jesus did not sin. But was he peccable or impeccable? And what difference does this whole question make? Is it just academic? Well, hopefully not. Hopefully I get around to why it's important to answer this question. But was he peccable, able to sin? Or was he impeccable, not able to sin? Now think about the peccability of man, right? Peccare is is a word for for will, right? But think about Adam, pre-fall. What was his state? Was he peccable or impeccable? Peccable, able to sin, right? He was able to sin. How do we know that Adam was able to sin? He sinned, duh, right? So he sinned. What about fallen man? Absolutely peccable, right? Um, not able not to sin. Genesis 6, 5 is one of those verses you go to. All the intents of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time, right? Sinful, not able not to sin. Redeemed man, okay, after regeneration. What is your status? Peccable or impeccable? <clears throat> peccable, you're able to sin, right? You sin. He who <clears throat> says he does not sin is a liar. 
So redeemed man is able not to sin and able to sin. You're able not to sin. The Spirit resides within us. We're being sanctified. We're putting to death sins by the power of the Spirit. But we also commit sins because we still have the corruption of the flesh. What about glorified man? Not able to sin. Impeccable. A glorified man will be it will be impossible for glorified man to sin. So, so when Christ was inhabiting the earth, did he have a will like Adam's pre-fall, able to sin? Did he have a will like redeemed, regenerate man, able not to sin, able to sin, one way or the other? Or did he have a will like glorified man, not able to sin. That's the question. <laughs> and in some sense, you know, I'm totally inadequate to preach on this. This is, this is Deuteronomy 29, 29, sort of. It, it, I, that's what it feels to me. And so um, any pastor who gets up and says they're able to preach all the doctrines of the Bible with, with absolute clarity is a liar, Right? This is hard stuff. Now, here's another question. I'm, I'm a lot of questions here. In some sense, isn't it true in asking the question, was it possible for Jesus' sin? We're asking the question of whether it is possible for God to sin. Are we not? And what is the answer to that? Absolutely not, and to say so would be blasphemous. So what do we do here? Seems like there's a lot of tension. God is holy, holy, holy. Right? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It says of of God, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, right? His unapproachable light, that's to speak to his absolute moral purity. So obviously taken this way, the answer to the question is easily no, God cannot sin. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And so it's a clear no. So, why do we quickly maintain that it must have been possible for Jesus to sin? Why do we maintain that? Well, it's those verses I told you about. It's, about, it's the question of his temptation, isn't it? We've, we believe that his temptations had to be exactly like ours, or what he faced was not actually temptation. Therefore, he can't sympathize with us. He can't come to our rescue. He, but... But what does Jesus not have? A sinful nature. If Jesus doesn't have a sinful nature, the way that he faces temptation, could it possibly be ever like yours? In that respect, absolutely not. It could not be. He did not experience temptation as we did. Because why? Because he didn't have evil welling up inside of him that tapped into all the external temptations that were trying to wage warfare against him. Like you and I. 
right? We have sin dwelling within us. And so when evil is suggested to us, and those suggestions are temptations, the devil does it, the world does it, those are temptations. When those come to us, what does it tap into? It taps in the cesspool of the sinful flesh. Jesus did not have that sinful flesh. Jesus did not have that, that, that sin residing within him. He was not born with, strapped with Adam's degradation. He was holy, holy, holy. And so, we quickly maintain that it must have been possible for Jesus to sin because we're trying to maintain that his temptations were real, like ours, that they were intense. But must we maintain that God could sin in order to keep the temptations intense? So my question is, why will we overturn our doctrine of God so that we can keep a view of temptations that somehow is necessary to make Jesus able to sympathize with us? Well, one, I think the tendency we have in this day and age is to forget about the deity of Christ. I think we think of Jesus as a man, as a mere man. I just think that's the way that we conceive of him. What we want from Jesus is friendship. But what we don't want is a sovereign Jesus over us. Right? And so we just conceive of Jesus as this man. And so we really desperately need him to have have suffered in exactly the way that we have so that he can really be our friend and, and sympathize with us in that sense. But that, that to me, is just is really thin, is really superficial. And what we need to do is remember that Jesus was God. Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, that was Jesus. Some help from the theologians now. They get paid to think about these things. I just get to preach. Uh, A.W. Pink wrote this, Not only was Christ sinless, he was impeccable, that is, incapable of sinning. No attempt to set forth the doctrine of his wondrous, peerless person would be complete without considering the blessed perfection. Sad indeed is it to behold the widespread ignorance there is today, and sadder still to hear and read this precious truth denied. The last Adam differed from the first Adam in his impeccability. Christ was not only able to overcome temptation, but he was unable to be overcome by it. Necessarily so, for he was the Almighty. True, Christ was man, but he was the God-man. And as such, absolute master and Lord of all things, being master of all things as his dominion over the winds 
diseases and death clearly demonstrated it was impossible that anything should master him. Now you begin to feel, you know, I'm going through this as I'm reading these things. And you begin to feel my, my agony as I work through this, right? I'm like, how many times have I told people, yeah, sure, it was possible for Jesus' sin. And it's just me belittling Christ. And making much of my sins. Making much of my temptations. On the other hand, here's Charles Hodge. And you'll see that there's, there's great disagreement on this. So I'm getting all vehement up here, but because I think this is, is necessary. But, but here's Charles Hodge. He says, the sinlessness of our Lord, however, does not amount to absolute impeccability. If he was a true man, he must have been capable of sinning. That he did not sin under the greatest provocations, that when he was reviled, he blessed. When he suffered, he threatened not. That he was silent as a sheep before its shears is held up to us as an example. Temptation implies the possibility of sin. If from the constitution of his person it was impossible for Christ to sin, then his temptation was unreal and without effect, and he cannot sympathize with his people. My response to that is, Jesus was not exactly like us. He could not experience sin as welling up within, coming from a sinful nature. But in every respect that you've been tempted by everything outside of you, he was tempted. The world and the devil tempted Jesus in all things just as you've been tempted. A beautiful woman walked in front of Jesus. And that was a temptation set before him. And yet he did not once consider sinning as we would have naturally by virtue of our sinful flesh. He didn't once. In fact, for Jesus to desire to sin would have been what? Sin. For Jesus ever once to have desired it, rather than to obey his Father, would have been sin in and of itself. So there weren't even desires to sin. That is unlike our experience. And yet, he was exactly like us in that all these, these outward temptations were coming toward him. And not once, not once did he give in. Not once did he take the second glance. Not once did he let any sinful thought come through his mind. Now notice that, that Hodge ties the question of Christ's impeccability to temptation. Real temptation, he assumes, requires peccability. And I just don't think that is true. Not in the sense that I've just been talking about it. R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul agrees with Hodge. He says, The best theologians, past and present, have been divided on the question of whether Jesus could have sinned. I believe that since Jesus was fully human, there's that emphasis, 
I believe that because Jesus was fully human, it was possible for him to sin. Obviously, the divine nature cannot sin, but if Christ's divine nature prevented him from sinning, in what sense did he obey the law of God as the second Adam? At his birth, Jesus' human nature was exactly the same as Adam's before the fall with respect to his moral capabilities. Huh? I don't think so. Jesus had what Augustine called the passe peccare and the passe non peccare. That is the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. Adam sinned, Jesus did not. Satan did everything in his power to corrupt Jesus and tempt him to sin. That would have been an ex- exercise in futility had he been trying to tempt a divine person to sin. What is he doing? Satan was not trying to get God to sin. He was trying to get the human nature of Christ to sin so that he would not be qualified to be the Savior. That's a powerful argument, isn't it? It's a powerful argument that R.C. Sproul makes, that Hodge makes. It makes sense of the, 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 the temptations, and yet I think it, it, it overemphasizes and divides Christ into human and divine, right? It, it puts a wedge between those two things where we shouldn't put a wedge. Now, Shedd, the Presbyterian theologian, says this about a person who cannot sin cannot be tempted to sin. And Shedd says this is not correct any more than it would be correct to say that because an army cannot be conquered, it cannot be attacked. Right? And here comes help from Mark Jones. Here comes some help from Mark Jones. And I think this is, this is very helpful to begin to make sense of what were those temptations. Were they real? Were they weak? Were they, were they nothing? Did he... I mean, were they, but, or were they intense? And he says, Some think the idea that Christ could not have sinned is wrong-headed on the basis that this would render his temptations a sham. If he was incapable of sin, so the argument goes, his victory over the denial in, over the devil in the wilderness loses its force and its appeal. The scriptures do not deny the reality of Christ's temptations, but at the same time, they also leave us no choice but to say that sinning was impossible for the God-man. Jesus could not sin. He was and always will be in a state whereby he is unable to sin. Non posse peccare. However, I hope that we have not begun too negatively. That is, speaking of Christ not being able to sin. This truth, which will be asserted and defended below, must be affirmed in the strongest possible language. Yet denying that Jesus could sin almost sounds as though he was limited whereas the reality paints quite a different picture. This doctrine must, in the final analysis, be stated positively. Think of this. And this is encouraging. Christ had such power over temptation that he exercised the greatest strength. True, he did not and could not sin, but he positively mastered the temptations he faced. The question of whether Jesus could have sinned finds its answer once we reconsider the unity of his person. The human nature of Jesus never had a separate existence or personality. It only had an existence in union with the divine word. 
Think about that. His human body only had existence in union with the divine word, with the Logos. Since the human nature was never alone, the idea that Jesus could have sinned is a non-starter with no chance to succeed. Why should Jesus sin? Incarnate God would sin. So in a sense, to hold that Jesus could sin is to say God could sin, which is horrible. Scripture maintains that Jesus was tempted. Scripture also maintains that God cannot sin. So, again, to come back to those temptations, were they a sham? As Hodge maintains, as R.C. Sproul maintains, no, Jesus was infinitely stronger than them. He, f- he faced those temptations as the God-man. Now, here's what Mark Jones says about this. As the sinless one, as the sinless one, he never once desired to commit one sin. Jesus felt the force of temptations more than we can imagine. Sinlessness heightens, not lessens temptation. As Leon Morris said, the man who yields to a particular temptation has not felt its full power. If you yield to temptation, you've given in at half its strength. He is given in while the temptation has yet something to in reserve. Only the man who does not yield to temptation, who as regards that particular temptation is sinless, knows the full extent of that temptation. Jesus persevered sinlessly to the end and for that reason felt the full force of every temptation in a way that we who resist only for a time can't know. Murray says this, John Murray. It was his impeccable holiness that added intensity to the grief of temptation. For the holier a person is, the more excruciating is his encounter with solicitation of the opposite. In the case of our Lord, this is, a, this is true to an incomparable degree because he was perfect. All right, got like six more pages of of quotes here. But here's what I want to end with. Here's what I want to end with. Jesus is infinitely strong. Jesus is infinitely strong being God. God did not send him as a possible savior. God sent him so that all those promises would be yes in him. It was a rigged game. And it was rigged in favor of God because God is the one who made the game. He writes the rules. And all those prophets came. And all those animals and all that blood was 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 shed every year, year after year, and then along comes a better covenant, one enacted on better promises, and that is Jesus Christ in the flesh as the Lamb of God, slain. And 
He's slain before the foundation of the world. How in the world could that possibly fail? It couldn't. Now think of this. Jesus is infinitely strong. No temptation could ever take Jesus out. You are so weak. You are so weak. We are so weak. Temptations take us down left and right. Think, think though, of meeting temptations without meeting that evil within. That's your future in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ has made possible for you. You will know temptation as he knew it, in a sense. Well, you won't. There won't be any temptations to sin. It'll be a, a, a new, new ball game. But think about this. Jesus, infinitely holy, never once tempted to sin, and he becomes sin. He became sin. He heard the denunciation, the judgment of his father. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He never once sinned. He never once did anything against the father. And yet he becomes your sins, not just sin. He becomes your sin. You know, perhaps it was there in his death, there on the cross, when he finally And the only time he knew the shame of sin. Before he didn't know it because he hadn't experienced any sin. And then he becomes sin and he despises the shame. He had not personally known that only insofar as the temptations were without him. And so here it is that the priest becomes the sacrifice. The priest becomes the lamb. And when did he know the shame of sin? Hebrews 12.3 He endured the cross despising the shame. When did he know the shame of sin? When he became sin. And so, again, this is not the language of potential. This is not the language of potential. Jesus could not sin. And the reason he could not sin is because God wanted to redeem you. And he was not going to fail. He was not going to fail. His promises all are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God sent his son, why? To be the propitiation for our sins. No way could he sin. Our Jesus is God. He wins. He gets the victory. He is undefeatable. And if he can't fail in that, how can he fail in any other lesser thing? Any of those prayers that you make to him, any of the kindnesses, any of those desperate gasping prayers you make to him, how can he not give you exactly what is required. He will not fail. He cannot fail. He is our Savior, and He is God. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father, we praise you for your Son and his power over sin and death. Father, we thank you that, I mean, it's stupendous that you would bring to an end the, the sacrifice of bulls and goats and that you would, you would put, put it to an end by the, the crucifixion of your son. And yet all of it done voluntarily by the Son of God, this eternal, eternal God-man. Lord, we're grateful. And we take great confidence in being in your household, being in the household where Jesus, the victor over all sin, is our brother. Lord, I pray that you would help us to lift up our heads to straighten up, knowing what glory we have in being united to the Son of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.